Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow Exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times Somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago Just to up and leave it All right. Bringing us into the show, Trampled by Turtles, which we will touch on with Travis Frank. Absolutely. We get uh, a Trampled by Birds episode of The Flush this year, and that means it's that time of year when we all start thinking about bird hunting. So this is our annual The Flush season preview episode of on the wing podcast that it, time of the year when we start thinking about it well do you ever stop you will i i say that because we we watch our web traffic and our social media and uh-huh. real realistically it's like a hockey stick beginning after the fourth of july you can watch the web traffic it's like yeah yes we we all think about we're training our bird dogs all year long yep. but like f- y- you know the web traffic just goes flat, normal mono activity, you know, March, April, May, June. And after we get past 4th of July fireworks, mm. poof, you know, it just starts rising. At, you know, people start talking about, okay, I got this booked. I got that booked. And that's what, a little bit of what we're going to talk about today yeah. is what's on the horizon for this hunting season because I'm already starting to think about it. I, am. I know you have to start planning. Yeah. Um, Mitch's so, hands in the air over Mitch, there. Mitch Petrie. So we've got um, a little bit of a nostalgia episode. We'll go back in time <laughs> to your origin story, Travis, through Mitch. Um, so we have Travis Frank, host of The Flush, and Mitch Petrie. Vice President of Programming at Outdoor Channel. Thank you both for meeting me here on a, what's supposed to be a 90, what's it supposed to be, 95 degrees in the Twin Cities know. today? It, they're all kind of running together. They're summer. It's if you, summer. If you here. hear the ruckus behind us, yeah, we got a couple of bird dogs <laughs> in the office with us right The now. heavy breathing, it's not me. <laughs> that's not me. I may be a mouth breather, but that's my dog. <laughs> well, you do own labs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just <laughs> kidding. Okay. I love all bird dogs. My goodness. All right. But, uh, but when you have a pointing breed, then you become a pointing snob. Yeah. Right? My, well, we just got done. So I had my entire department um, in the office for the last two days, our creative content meeting. So we plan our editorial calendar. It, it, it's changed over the years. It used to be like, okay, what are we going to cover in the Pheasants Forever Journal, Quail, Quail Forever Journal? And that took up like the first day, but now it's like, okay, what are we doing for video projects? What are we doing for podcasts, social media? And then there's like the dumpster fire um, (laughs) sheet, you know, like everything that doesn't fit into a box. And that's the world we live in now, right? You know, it's in the world of, you know, it used to be Ron Shira, Dennis Anderson, where your outdoor coverage came from the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And with the, changing times you know 10 15 years ago maybe more you know 
outdoor coverage just really deteriorated. I've talked about this before. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's a mecca here in the Twin Cities where we have outdoor news and, and radio show, multiple radio shows for the outdoors. Yeah. And Dennis Anderson is still writing for the Star Tribune and Due North and Minnesota Bound. And, but, you know, we move Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic around the country. And that just doesn't, that's not the way it is in Kansas City and Omaha and Des Moines. Yeah, like and, Fan Outdoors doesn't exist there. It, it, it doesn't exist in so yeah. many places. That's why you have to keep it up. And Well, <laughs> Fan Outdoors, yes. Yeah. But, but where, where I was going with this is there's a, a niche now that exists for conservation entities like ours mm-hmm. to be the source of media across all platforms versus feeding those platforms the information versus feeding news stories so somebody else would cover it the world we live in now is we got to produce social media platforms or uh, content website content video content print content and not only one brand but two right so it was really really fun the last couple of days you know, coming up with all sorts of different concepts, but sure. it's it's changed dramatically, which fits into this conversation, right? The mm-hmm. changing world of Mitch running outdoor channels programming and what, what you're seeing, that, that'll be interesting component of the conversation, what's happening in the outdoor television world, which yeah. connects with the flush. So yeah. before we go too deep, give give a quick just intro. Let's start with Travis, like sure. who you are. Your role and Yeah, so uh, I've been at uh, Ron Share Productions since 2008. We'll get into the story here because it all comes back to Pheasants Forever. That's yeah. what we talked about before we turned the microphones on here. But um, I host The Flush and Rooster Tales as well. And I've been doing this now for, oh, goodness. I think I started producing this show eight, nine years ago, maybe, something like that, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, it's hard. I don't. I, I'm so focused on what's happening right now in front of me and what's ahead that I don't look back too often. But um, I've been doing the bird hunting TV shows with you, Bob, and with Pheasants Forever and in this partnership. And it's been a great experience. I've, I've really felt blessed to be in this role to travel across North America and meet the people that love the land and the birds and the dogs. And in turn, it's really rubbed off on me. And my journey has really transformed into this hardcore passion that you know this <laughs> yeah you can see it. you live it man. yeah i do i love it i live it my kids are following in the steps we have four kids and my wife and still to this day i think one of my most uh the most um feedback that i've probably ever gotten out of a flesh episode is when i took my wife out hunting with me yeah that was know, a terrific one. and just the way that it touched other men and women mm-hmm. you know i had so many messages where Men would reach out and say, thank you for doing that. I brought my wife over and we watched it then together. And then she said, I kind of want to try that, mm. you know. And then at Pheasant Fest, you know, husband and wives that walk up and then they'll say, thank you for that. It gave mm-hmm. us an opportunity to think about doing something together, going on an adventure that we probably never would have or maybe never would have. And in turn, that just strengthens our relationship, our marriage. So. I don't even know how many times people have said that on just that episode. And that's, I think our goal is always to inspire people to get out there, educate them when we can, and entertain them a little bit too. If folks want to watch that particular episode, because mm-hmm. I, it was fantastic. Thank it, you. It was 
the first episode of the 2019 season? Mm, is maybe, that right? maybe something like it, that. 2019, yeah. 2020 is right in that window, and you can find it on you the YouTube page, right? Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, definitely. And so all of our shows air on the Outdoor Channel, and the whole season it starts in just a couple days here. It starts in the first week of July, basically, mm-hmm. and it runs through the end of December. And um, new show every week, and then after the season is done running on the network, then we stream the full episodes in their entirety. So you can go back and watch. I think we've been keeping our our streaming episodes now for six years, probably five or six years, something like that. And it's, it's in there. I think it's, if you search Tinker Kennels because Jeff Gillespie bought out Bob Tinker that owned Tinker Kennels. And now Jeff is operating it. And we went on a horseback hunt on the prairie by the Missouri river. And, it's just you add horses to that. Mm-hmm. And Bob, you know this I, now. I, yeah. I mean. Cowboy it, Bob. Cowboy yeah. Bob. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it just, it takes the love that you have for the, the prairie, the dog experience, mm-hmm. and then you add horses to mm-hmm. it in a view, and you're just, you can cover so much ground, yeah. and it's just so stunning. It's a, it, it is really something every bird hunter has to try at least once because it changes mm-hmm. your entire perspective on the bird hunt. I mean, he's like, come on, really? But if you put yourself up five extra feet yeah. on the top of a horse yeah. and you're able to watch a dog run big mm-hmm. across the prairie, you get a completely different view for how things transpire. Yeah, totally. And the speed of which you're covering ground changes too. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about when you're walking. You know, what's, what's, what's your miles per hour, Bob? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, on a normal day, yeah. 20,000 steps. I don't know what my miles per hour, but on a sure. horse, you know, triple every, that. Oh my triple. Come on. It's way more than that. Do you think so? I think it's way more on a horse. You think a horse, gosh, a horse, I bet you it's five times it. Don't you think? Mm. The the Deep, length we're not, a, we're not we're not we're not running. Well, you and I are not the <laughs> tallest people in the world either. Oh, that's there's that. There's that. Yeah. My my legs. We'll take, go four times. All right, yeah. let's split the difference. Okay. But anyway, I just to bring it back, you know, I I have a dog. Yeah. That <laughs> wants to run about twenty five miles an hour yeah, right? and cover as much ground as possible. So we fit each other well because she wants to see what's on the other side of the next hill and then the next hill beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, and my wife says, You guys are made for each other. That's mm-hmm. perfect. Because I have that same appetite to see what's yep. on the other side yep. and to to just push myself a little bit further. Yeah, I, I, I just wanna yeah, I just want to sit. I just want to sit in a boat and swill beer with my lab. <laughs> <laughs> so that's on brand. <laughs> well so your wife says you guys were made exactly. for each other. <laughs> so uh, let's let's it, Mitch introduce yourself. But I want to walk you walk it up to the part where you guys get connected. So just your background, who you yeah. are, what you what you do. You know, I'm I'm from southern Minnesota. You know, I always joke all roads lead to Mankato where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Here, earlier we were talking all roads lead to pheasants forever, which it kind of does here because I've I've chased pheasants since I was probably 13. Um, I didn't come from a hunting family, mm. but my father was a businessman. He had a lot of friends that did, so I got to go along on some hunts and that, and uh, just always loved it. But moved overseas after college and uh, kind of lost touch. Really? Where'd you move? I lived to, 
stood in France, which doesn't have a very great hunting culture, although huh. I've been back since then and done it. But uh, there is an upland community there that mm-hmm. are pretty passionate, but it's mostly private ground and uh, club type stuff. But um, yeah, I came back and uh, was in a manufacturing business and um, got involved in TV that way and met Ron Shera. And Ron was looking for somebody to run his company and it just worked out well. I ended up going full time working for Ron as president of Ron Shera Productions. Yep. Um, and that's where I met you originally. Yeah, so that exactly. was, what, 2007? Two th- well, 2006, 2007 yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. 2008 even. Um we were doing Pheasants Forever television at the time in Minnesota Bound. By the way, I, I wouldn't want to bore everybody with the TV stuff, but like within a couple of months of um, joining, and I made a pretty big career change. It yeah. was out of manufacturing and software into TV full time. But you were hosting a show at that time. I was producing, producing, producing one, yeah, yeah, just a, a kind of a traditional um, whitetail hunting show mm-hmm. on Outdoor Channel, which, you know, 2006, I didn't even know what Outdoor Channel was. By 2008, I was running a small production company. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember Ron, I don't remember where Ron came across Travis. Might have been a story idea that we had this young... I took Ron fishing. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Ron, right. so Ron came back from fishing and said, You're, Mitch, you, I could do a pretty good Ron impersonation. Does he listen? Because I, I, mean, I, need, I need to know how respectful <laughs> yeah, I am. You're, you're fine. Uh, my, you got to meet this kid, Travis. You know, go, go see him. And so I actually um, met him at the... It, I don't know if it was the first or the second year of the Northwest Suburban Pheasants Forever chapter. It might have been the second. It was over behind Ridgedale. So um, in the Minnetonka area. Yeah, in Minnetonka, cities. West Metro there, you know, you know, what used to be the, uh, you know, the top performing chapter in the country for mm-hmm. Pheasants Forever, the year after year after year. Um, it's a different story. Um, but yeah, I met Travis at the, um, at the banquet there. He had donated a trip. And, a fishing um, trip. A fishing for muskie, yep. a muskie yeah, trip. Fishing you know, trip. Travis yeah. was the hot ticket to muskies on Minnetonka, mm-hmm. Waconia, what have you, mm-hmm. back in the day. Probably still is, but uh, uh, he's got other clients now, his four kids, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I get. So um, yeah, and I, you know, I came back, I met Travis, and you know, like everybody who meets Travis, is like, yeah, this kid's awesome, and mm-hmm. we, we needed help. We had a lot of different things going on. He had built his own websites and done, you know, it's like, you know, and social media wasn't really a thing yet, but was kind of coming around. And uh, so I told Ron, I said, yeah, you know, we should bring Travis on. And Ron's like, wow, yeah, Travis should pay to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Ron actually said that, but he certainly could. It was, it it took us a little bit to get him in, but uh, yeah, we brought Travis on and, um, you know, and, and, it was uh, it wasn't a rock, it was a rocky start from the company's perspective because we were we were also in a, the, a major shift when um, I joined and a few months after we had a meeting at Care Eleven and they're like um, we can't do Minnesota Bound anymore mm. and it's the first time in my life that I legitimately had tunnel vision like I'm sitting on a couch with the president of care 11 and Ron's over here and I go from being like hey you know I'm on cloud nine I'm in tv I'm working for Ron Shera and, and it, so for listeners care so Ka- Minnesota sorry. bound no it's all right it, it, just so it, keep people up to speed it's a hunting fishing Minnesota lifestyle show it's it's part of the fabric of Minnesota on the local NBC affiliate right and it really an important cultural television show uh, that people listen to or watch on Sunday evenings. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And this is a, a you know, a moment that, you know, maybe, you know, if you're listening to this in North Carolina, isn't a big deal, but it would be 
very rocking for somebody here. Oh yeah, who who just left her full time job to go, uh, you know, uh, take a pay cut to chase the TV dream. Yeah. And um and yeah, he said, well, we're not, we can't do Minnesota Bound anymore. And I like, I went sat back in my chair and like he got about a mile away from me mm-hmm. and I was like. Okay, you know, and we ended up working out a deal and changed things around. And that was my tenure here was for about four years. It was during a, a time of decline, so it mm, wasn't. Yeah, it was that recession. I mean, yeah. two thousand eight, mm-hmm. two thousand nine was tough. It, it, it wasn't fun. I no. mean, we had fun. We, the nature of the job is fun. Being able to go out and tell stories and 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 the guys and Ron, everybody taught me some you know amazing things. Really provided my I had done TV before but this is where I really learned how to do quality mm-hmm. television storytelling and, yeah and storytelling that and storytelling in, in outdoor TV you know sometimes it's just you know I went out and I shot a big deer that was a story and you're gonna and and for most of our audience that's adequate they're like yeah we like mm-hmm. we like to see that but but the flush and everything that the Ron Shera crew touched had just a higher level in fact we i got to know the network because we were hired by the network to do a series called legends of rod and reel mm-hmm. and then we had shows on outdoor channel as well we did destination polaris as well monster quest remember Mon- monster that was quest? for history channel yeah but yeah but that was a that was a big history channel yeah, which is there's a poster out here um, across from the men's bathroom that is ap- i take a photo it's, it's, yeah, it's epic it right? it's yeah. terrific there's the mo- stories we have I- movie posters down the Aaron Octaver, one of yes. the longtime photographers, yep. featured the poster. Yeah, it's so awesome. It's so good. Uh, that, that was a good, the, the, all great experiences. So that's how I got into TV, and huh. then um, you know Ron wanted to kind of you know plan for his future and sell the business, and I I I had looked at buying it myself, and Ron wanted a little too much money, and he wanted it all up front, and I just said I can't do it, and I, and it worked out well that it that it. Um, that it didn't worked out well for everyone. Well, we're, yeah, and, and for me, it would have been tough. I could have maybe figured it out, but it would have been a huge financial strain on me. And, and you know, so I helped him find a new owner. And uh, technically, Bill Shirk found the owner, just to give all credit where credit is due. <laughs> and Bill, a Pheasants Forever Banquet as yeah, well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, but helped with that transition and, um, and worked for here for a year or so uh, under the new ownership and then just opted to go out on my own. And um, I ended up working for Polaris as a contractor, um, because the, what we were building with Destination Polaris was great, but uh, and but it was this was its home, and I didn't want to do that. So, uh, and then the network hired me to do some ad sales, mm. and then uh, they bought Sportsman Channel. I got hired to run programming for Sportsman Channel, and four months later, my boss was let go, and I kind of took over his job. So, wow. yeah. Um, so that's how I got here. Uh, now I run programming for Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and uh, my Outdoor TV. Uh, I work with it's, it's it's a cool job. It's not as fancy as it sounds, I guess. We just we work with all the independent producers mm-hmm. who like like Ron Share Productions who are creating content, and we build the 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 programming schedule and you know the programming mix. So I get to choose what's on when, and uh, so it's it's you know it's, it's been a fun job. I love it. I love working with uh, the people I work with, both inside and outside the company, and I get to work you know in the hunting industry. I get to. My kids think I get paid to hunt, which, or fish for that matter. It, not the, not true, but I do get a lot of great hunting and fishing opportunities. I have to manage that mix. About right? once a year, you and I get to get out with a cup of coffee and go catch some fish. Still, yeah, yeah. Like old times. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's, uh, you know, but I've caught enough fish and I've shot enough critters in my in my days where, yes, I, I do that. I'm booking a, an antelope trip because I've never done an antelope hunt. I want to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like when I, when I turkey hunt now, when I pheasant hunt, you know, for me, it's more about it's it's 
almost everything else. Now it's about my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so much about just knocking down another bird, what have you, but uh, uh, it's getting other people Don't out and sharing Don't believe him, Don't believe him. No, I love it. I, I have a great story. I did um, um, when my so, – so go back to Travis as, as the kind of the connection. No, no, goes. enough about but, you. No, but enough <laughs> about me. <laughs> what do you think you. about me? Enough about me. Enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> no. oh, um, but, but Travis really helped us, helped me and my family too because he was uh, – we did a lot of fishing. Uh, um, we I don't, we even musky fished in years. Like I, I became a decent musky fisherman. He he took me in my first. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was there when I got my. He he's still he was there when I got my first. I've never seen a bigger musky than I think when I saw with him. I know exactly where. I'm, and I'm just <laughs> like him in many respects. I'm like 20 years older, but um, I see a lot of same amount of hair. I see a lot of me <laughs> and him. He had more hair when I hired. I'm heading uh, uh, your direction, both of you. But I tell you, I I remember. I think almost every single musky encounter I've had with mm-hmm. Travis. I remember. I I texted him the other day because I met a landowner um, on Lake Minnetonka. The guy's a former CEO of Target, and my kid hooks a worm on his dock, and he, he didn't climb on the dock, but we were pretty much in his boat lift to get the mm-hmm. hook out. Just He was caught on the wood. And the guy comes out, and my kid thinks he's going to get yelled at. And it was he was the nicest guy in the world. I mean, oh, wow. he, was like, he was asking how we were doing. He was asking all these different things. My son Aaron was with him, and the guy's got a tunnel that goes under his house. He takes Aaron up to the shore, t- shows him the 120-foot tunnel. You know, this is a you know, like a $16 million, 50-acre estate on Lake Minnetonka, and just the nicest guy. But I kept, I, tra- huh. I texted Travis because we caught, um, and I say we, because we fished that guy's dock like 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And, there's a um, picture. There's a marker, like like a buoy on the one side of his dock, and I bet I threw a top raider. I bet I casted like 10 times. To that spot, Travis is like going. There's fish, you know. Try, you'll get with Travis. Like, you know, look, there's fish. Oh, there's yeah. a, there's yeah, a, bol- there's a boulder yeah. over there, and there's a fish there. And so I cast, I cast, I cast, I cast. I get nothing. Uh, his friend Mike makes one cast. Boom! Mm-hmm. Catches that. Was, I think it was 51 and a half inches or something like that. So I've, I'm on the water the other day, texting Travis and Mike, saying, "This was before Facebook." Mm-hmm. So like nobody has a picture of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, there's a whole other market. We've got a whole library of photos that we've never posted to from our social the, media from the, past. From the pre-Facebook yeah. time. Yeah. But, but, that's, but everybody wants what's now. Right. But that was on your yeah. website. So anyhow, that was yeah. um, um, Travis really helped me. I've got pictures of my kids who were at the time were under 10, three boys under 10. And Travis helped get us out because we didn't have a boat at that point. But then we got a, I ended up getting my dream boat, my Ranger that I've always wanted to get and just did a ton of fishing on my own but really travis helped um uh, re-spark my my enthusiasm for the outdoors and working mm. working here obviously too mm-hmm. did as well but uh um but yeah so now i um um just working full-time for the network and uh this is part of my job too getting out now i'm our our company is changing the business of tv is changing dramatically and so tell me about that how's that changing well, I mean, you know, it, it's always been a challenge, the model in the outdoor space, which is unique, where producers will go out and sell sponsorships to fund the, their production. And then our network, um, you know, we work with all the affiliates for the distribution. And mm-hmm. well, with cord cutting, which has been a thing for over five years now. Cutting the ca- cable. C- cutting the cord. It, you know, it's, um, you know, now the advent of, you know, in, you know, YouTube and uh, other free outlets Amazon and that. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's in transition. Although the reality is, I was working on a, a bit of a white paper. It's like TV has always been in transition and probably always will be. But now we're in this space where brands, uh, I think, to their detriment, um, have put less faith in television. Hmm. 
the 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 allure of digital being brands meaning companies yeah like you know in, any company you know it, the the news is tv is dead the reality is there's still a smaller but still high quality television audience and it's the most effective way to get a message out um you know quickly is on tv but it's expensive and you know the pandemic has had an impact on it brands are like they don't know like it, you know, supply chains were disrupted uh you know um, I've heard some brands say, look, they had major, major, like the fishing brands had massive years during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, they pulled forward a lot of sales. It's not like all of a sudden their business was up 20%. Now this next year, it's going to be up 15% or it's like, no, they went up 20% and they may be going backwards a little bit as things kind of level out. Yeah. So, you know, TV's not immune to that. Um, so we're, we're just, you know, we have a, um, a very stable ownership. We own, um, um, Tell me about your owner a little. He's had quite a run. He has had quite a run. So our owner is Mr. Stan Kroenke, who is, um, uh, he owns Outdoor Channel, the Outdoor Sportsman Group. Mm -hmm. he, he got into TV by buying Altitude Sports in Denver because he also owns the Denver Nuggets, mm -hmm. world champion Denver Nuggets, I should say. <laughs> he uh, uh, also owns the world champion um, from two years ago now, two seasons ago, uh, Colorado Avalanche. Mm -hmm. And then he owns another team you may have heard of, the LA Rams, which won a Super Bowl yeah. like <laughs> 16 months or how many months? Ago? So yeah, yeah, it's unprecedented it's run. It's unbelievable. I saw that when the Nuggets won. Uh, it, there's a soccer team too that he owns the rapids that, that has won recently as well i don't think they've won the championship i don't know but yes they, oh they they will by the time this airs well so there's another so, so in, in, no listen can you get him to buy a minnesota team <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. in well, colorado they own the colorado rapids but he also owns the arsenal team in the uk which okay. is one of the largest soccer yeah. like most valuable soccer franchises behind like manchester united or uh, something in the world yeah so yeah there are our joke is well yeah okay we won the nuggets world championship but really until arsenal wins you know the champions league or you know uh, it's like uh you know we we still have work to do yeah. but uh, how does but, how does the outdoor television rank in terms of where he likes to prioritize things in um, that in that we are probably list? right up there with his belly button lint <laughs> 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 right in terms of importance of his daily life does he life. even remember that he owns he does this? Yeah. he does because it's, he's, he's confident he's not going to listen to this podcast <laughs> no. <laughs> no i mean he's 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 he has a good team in place to run the business uh -huh. it's a pat a business of passion for him he's he's committed to it but he doesn't uh i, I wish he did more I mean, I, when I look at the opportunities that I get and I'm like, you know, Mr. K, we'd, I'd love to get him. But you know what? He is, he's, uh, um, he, he's very you know, independently wealthy, but also he's married to a Walton, um, a woman, Walton heiress. And, and it's, it's funny because when you say that your mind goes to, oh, you know, a this Walton, is like, 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 the, like the Walmart, Walmart, Walmart family. Okay. Uh, but I think they, you know, from what I've seen, I, I don't know personally the story, but they've got a very good love story. They, you know, mm. they've been together forever. He made his uh, fortunes early on doing real estate with Walmart business. And he's a, you know, just a, a brilliant businessman. Mm. And um, really uh, everything he touches tends to turn to go i guess we don't read about the the challenges that they have but he's he's visionary in many respects he's building so they own um the area around ball arena in denver and i actually have an office right there on the complex that i haven't been to much since the pandemic um, but he has a vision for a whole river walk area where they're going to redevelop that part of denver that right now is an amusement park which they also own part of and will will replace but it's a like a very ambitious um 
like 10 year plan to really uh, reinvigorate downtown Denver. Hmm. Um, and he has the experience of having just built a city just outside of LA that is SoFi stadium hmm. like that. You, you, there's nobody building cities like that yeah. anymore. That thing came out of nothing and is a massive area now, you know, retail area, lodging and residential and the stadium and that. So, so anyhow, yeah, that's, um, so, so that's the foundation of our business. Um, so yes, the technology is changing in TV, the political environment, uh, kids are not watching TV like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are out of the heydays of TV, but it's, there's still a strong population of viewers stri- live sports and news drive a lot of viewership and like i was talking with our affiliate uh, vp yesterday i was like the viewing experience for fans has has de- declined quite a bit it used to be like i, I think the peak for my family was the x1 remote from xfinity because my wife wasn't big on tv and wasn't didn't you know d- didn't uh use ours a lot didn't like paying a monthly subscription but once she could use the xfinity remote and just say hey watch travis frank you know Travis Frank on the flush and it comes up with all these options that got easier. Well, now there's, you know, there's like a thousand fast channels, which Mm -hmm. are free ad supported TV, which Mm -hmm. is great, but, but it's, it's not designed for appointment viewing. Um, it's not convenient. Mm -hmm. Um, video on demand has become more convenient. So really there's all these things happening. Um, it's, there's still growth in the content space. Everybody's become a content producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were just talking yeah, about, right. I mean, yeah. it, it led right into it. I mean, yeah. everything from an organization to individuals, right? Right. I mean, right. Yeah. So, you know, things will, I think things will eventually consolidate or reorient or do something who knows, but it's a interesting time to be in TV. It's not as much fun as it used to be, but it's still, uh, we're still very much blessed to be able to create content now in uh, a market that we're all passionate about. So, Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, do people, um, when they sit down, like they want to know, they want to watch what they want to watch when they sit down. They don't want to wait for it to come around, you know, 7 p.m. or whatever. But do they watch the whole thing? Do they stay and, and watch the entire show? Can you track that? Because oh, yeah. I know like yeah. the, they're probably looking at their phone while watching something on TV. You know, Best like change. what yeah. is the attention span? What do you got? My dog's going crazy. So we, I would say it, it's, you know. Our producer base and our customer base are very wide. It's a wide swath because there are people and we know we do have data so we can see, uh, particularly on our My Outdoor TV platform, we can see down to the minute, you know, down to the second, really how much time people are watching. We can see session times, average to completion times. Um, an episode on average is 22 minutes and the average completion time in our genre is probably high. It's in the 18 to 19 minute range, right? Because if I'm tuning in to watch the flush, I'm, I'm interested in watching the flush. We also have uh, streaming channels within my outdoor TV. We have an in fisherman channel right now. Uh, we have, um, um, I think we have six. We have a whitetail. We have hunt stream. We have angler stream because we have a large swath of our audience who actually don't want to search. They want to just lean back, turn it on, and really? just and watch what's on. So it's coming back around. Yeah, I don't know if it ever left, but yeah, it, it's still it's still a big part of it. Um, because I, I don't know if you've had the experience. Like I, I watch, I subscribe to Netflix now. I'm not saving money on TV in the cord cutting world. It's like I actually have Xfinity, I have a Fire Stick, I have Apple, I have Netflix. I'm still spending two hundred bucks a month on TV. Hmm. Um, then part of it's because that's that's the world that I, that I'm in, but. Um, when you go to Netflix with your wife, how long does it take you to find something to watch? If you're successful, sometimes in I don't actually get to watch something because I give up. 
Right. No, that's normal. So that's why there's, there's people that do this. You know, I just want to watch hunting or fishing. You mentioned seasonality, I think, in the introduction. You know, our seasonality for networks has been exactly that way, too. Mm-hmm. Um, when people participate in something, they're more active about it, whether it's tennis or golf or what have mm-hmm. you. They're, you know, golf, people watch more golf in, during the golf season. And we absolutely see the same trends. Our audience levels pick up um, after the 4th of July. Uh, where people are starting to plan their hunts. And I'm planning one, and I decided to wait until this interview because I'm planning a Montana trip, and I need to get some help. Uh, <laughs> oh, here uh, we go. Never been to Montana. <laughs> You're I, on I, your I, own. I've been there. I did a, I did a, we did the game warden, game warden show there. So I know all the wardens out there. I can get some help. But uh, uh, Let me ask you a qu- uh, So and maybe there's this has happened, and I haven't seen it, but I was, uh, last night I had Thursday night fan outdoors, K-Fan, yep. Twin Cities. And every Thursday and Saturdays, I'm doing ra- live radio, and there's been a progression where the audience want wants to interact in real time with the show. Sure. So, talk back, which is a, yeah, I've seen that. Play, right? I'm a fan. I watch. So, um, I you can leave an audio question or response to what's going on in real time. You can play it on the air, or you can text questions rather than getting out your email or your inbox like right. instantly and you're driving down the road you're not supposed to do this but you can right you can text into the show yeah is that coming for you know television destination television where the the host is watching the show with you and yeah. she or he is communicating with the viewing audience and um, ha- maybe that's happened already. It's happened know. to some degree, but in, in our genre, it's 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 harder to apply. You know, obviously, you know, we're filming in the fall, and it's not going to air till next year. Right. Uh, where I've seen it happen would be, hey, you know, uh, we'll have producers who will be available on their social media, mm-hmm. um, or people will tweet at them different things but um we've had some that we tried to do it within the show technically i I know it's possible i've seen you know ufc does that a lot Mm. i think or maybe the pro sports but But that's happening uh, live right yeah those are live the content is being created live in front of them yeah i'm thinking like maybe the premiere like of each episode when you know your or maybe it's your signature episode on or signature time slot on saturday you're watching episode of the flush with me and with people them. yeah and you're yeah. like they're boy what kind of what breed of dog is that right we definitely it's obviously a short hair communication definitely has changed i got viewer feedback yesterday and i sent it to the producer we don't get a lot anymore directly from our consumer from our website we have a form if you see something you like or don't like you've got to go to our find our website you've got to find the form page we don't hide it but it's just like you it you Mm-hmm. We don't get as much because it's it's harder than, well, I'll just go to the Flush's Facebook and send them a message. So mostly yeah. oh, the communication sense. goes. Yeah. I, I Everyone's think, so easy to reach now. Yeah. Right. It, it, the world's changed. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you've seen it when you see get the feedback you get on your show. You, you also have to sort through a lot of riffraff and things that people might think are compelling but aren't compelling. Not and, as much as Vikings' response. but Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I will say from – you know, the variety of TV shows we produce right now, we have seven in mm-hmm. here that we're doing. The Flush, by far and away, gets, I, I would, almost 10 times the feedback of More all the More than Minnesota Bound. Yes. No kidding. Yep. Um, I probably have some data to support why that is, but I'll, I won't What would you, you say? What, what, yeah, what, what is got? that then? Because it's a larger national audience, and 
the audience for the flush because it's been around for a long time. It's a passion based, very audience. passionate, right? It's yep. so the, um, the Upland community is right. so, is like on no other um, outdoor space in how interactive they are. Probably better educated, probably Maybe. you know have yeah. more opinionated in that. But no, but that yep. but it, we so I think that uh, just because of the nature of the distribution of outdoor channel, it's reaching a much wider audience. So you're casting a bigger net. Then throw on top of it the fact that you're hitting. Um, you're hitting that core upland audience. We're Minnesota bound. You you might be go you might go from picking blueberries to carving decoys to mm-hmm. you know learning how to how to how to you know sharpen a knife type stuff. And um, you know while that's it's great content, it's interesting. It's just you know you're it's more general mm-hmm. and you're not you're geography not. based rather than lifestyle based. Maybe a right. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. If you're really passionate about upland bird hunting and dogs and you're listening to this podcast mm-hmm. you know it's it fits right into what you really are deeply care about yeah it's part and of your identity it's part of your identity and so the feedback is daily mm. it's daily and many times a day from viewers and listeners and the other shows get some feedback but not like the flush hmm. i I share only a small fraction of what comes in with the rest of the team because mm-hmm. I don't want to keep them from doing their job, right. you know. And it's, it's better feedback, what I've, the little that I've yep. gotten. It's more of a, hey, you know, yep. can you connect me to Travis because I want to know more about hunting in Montana. Yep. I said, well, funny you should ask that. I have the same question. Versus our other shows, which are like, you know, I don't like this host or, you know, uh, Ted Nugent's uh, a traitor. And, uh, oh, you uh, get into the political side. Oh, yeah, they yeah, get yeah, political. Yeah. And the biggest complaint we get, though, is the rock and roll music because our audience is aging. Right. So our average age is in the in the 50 year range. So hearing is going is declining and producers use music to make a compelling you know, mm-hmm. presentation of their their show. And a lot of our viewers can't hear what people are saying. Hmm. One, because they're deer, deer hunting and whispering in a tree stand, which also drives people nuts. Yeah. Uh, but then, does that drive you nuts? No, not so much. Um, and I, we get the occasional, the dude just shot a deer. How come he's still whispering in the tree stand? I said, well, you know what? There might be somebody hunting a thousand yards from him who's still hunting. Or maybe they're still, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like just because he killed doesn't mean the, sh- the hunt is absolutely over. But, again, those are the kind of people that take the time to find the web form to, mm-hmm. because they want to complain about some, some guy hunting and, a, hunting and whispering in the tree stand. It's like, okay, <laughs> good on you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up music. and it, it, You know, I, I hear the, you know, the heavy rock come up to build an energy level. But one of the things that does drive me crazy is this belief that, Hunters only listen to country music, right? Oh. right? There's that stereotype out there, right? Like, oh, they're just... Well, now you're starting to get it. Now you're starting to offend me. Well, <laughs> but don't you think they that don't. there's that stereotype there? So, I, I don't know if you know, I did a podcast called Country Outdoors. Well, and that's all we did. Country, we but <laughs> no. but I, I, I'm going to actually agree with you because in my podcast experience, yes. Well, it, it's so the hunting demographic, even though, you know, women is important and growing, it's, it's still 80% male. Mm. Maybe it's a little less now. I don't know the exact number, but it's a, we're a male dominated genre or demographic. Um, country music is about 80% female. Mm. So, um, from an advertising perspective, if you're an country adver- music is eighty. It's probably female. closer to sixty now, I guess. But the reality is, it's 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 higher than 
It's it's mostly female. It's a female demo. If you go to and we're kids, sitting here listening to fan outdoors, right? Us men, <laughs> no, but on talk radio. Is you, that what the deal is? Yeah, you men go to listen to talk radio and women listen or to nothing, country music or podcasts. You know, they're yeah. doing more podcasts. It's, it's just by the way, it's the same for YouTube. You know, the demographic of people watching YouTube videos is by and large male. There's still women, obviously, who do it, but it's a male-dominated demo. So your point about the popular country music, um, the country lifestyle is consistent with the hunting lifestyle, mm -hmm. more so than the heavy metal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think men uh, in general are more into we, – we, last year we sponsored – we, Outdoor Sportsman Group, sponsored a concert at um, SHOT Show, and we had um, – the uh, lead singer from Billy Givens from ZZ Top, mm. and um, and then the guy from Thirty Eight Special. Essentially, they have this backing band. This amazing band from Nashville comes in. They had um, um, what's the uh, uh, Montgomery Gentry, mm. uh, who's the guy that's still alive. Uh, Montgomery is still alive. He played country set, and then the other two guys came in. 38 special set, essentially all the hits from 38 special, and then all the ZZ Top hits. Mm. And it was the crowd went bonkers. Mm. And to your point, country music and um, I, you know, the, our hunting lifestyle are aligned, but our male-dominated audience, particularly that are 40-plus, you know, they're more into uh, pop, rock, Guns N' Roses, mm -hmm. Z, you know, ZZ Top. Trampled um, by Turtles. Tram yeah. I, I was yeah. sorry. I have a Trampled by Turtles connection, by the way. Okay. My cousin, first cousin, Bob Herbers, he's a bit of a legend in the audio uh, market here, the recording industry. He worked with um, Paisley Park. He had his own studio in Minneapolis, and he specialized in, like, retro equipment. And people, artists, big-time artists from around the country would come in um, to record with him because he was using old-school techniques and, and equipment, and they wanted that sound. Uh, but he's worked extensively with Trampled with Turtles, toured with them. Huh. Um, I, I think he's... You know, he's like the front of house guy, so okay. he runs a soundboard maybe. But I think oh. maybe maybe more than that. I don't know. He may still be working. What's his with name? Him. Bob Herbers. Okay. Yeah. Um, Probably a Pheasants Forever member. Be very likely. Trampled by yeah, Pheasants. Yeah, I think Dave has converted almost everyone on his, <laughs> on, in his band into a Pheasants Forever member and Hunter now, right? Yeah, they're diehard conservationists now. So that's, Isn't that cool? It is very cool. It is very cool. Now we, we have a few that want to take up hunting too, so... We'll do that this fall. Yeah, Mitch, you might not know this, but um, Dave did his hunter safety behind the stage. Backstage. You know, backstage. Before concerts, like, for a string of two weeks. Yeah. Awesome. Because of this guy, Bob. Fantastic. Yeah, Bob got him hooked on hunting. Yeah. Pretty cool. We got to spend a day in the woods and a day in the field. And that's why when you said trampled by birds... I didn't title it Trampled by Pheasants right, or I Trampled by Grouse. I know because it's like, well, we hunted so many different birds. Yeah, right. It was Timberdoodles, yes. Grouse. Yeah. Well, tell us about that episode. That's coming up this yeah. season. Well, yeah, we, we wanted to highlight the Trampled by Pheasants and Trampled by Quail partnership. That Which are still going on still right going now. Still going on, yep. And so the... That episode, though, to me, was really tough to try to produce. I because bet, because it was two different pieces. There was a lot going on there, though. There was your family cabin. Yeah, my, yeah from and, my wife's side. Yeah, yep. Julia Schrankler, you know, yep. her story, and the, the family story. Yeah, and, and Paul, Paul Godfrey getting back into bird hunting. Yes, and so there were so many different uh, storylines. And then here's Dave Simonette in the middle of it all. Right. And his story and the, the trampled by Turtles connection, the PF and Quail Forever. 
but we were hunting grouse and woodcock in yeah. the woods. Sounds like a two-parter. It, I, yeah, <laughs> I struggled with how to weave it together. I'm, I think I'm satisfied though. I hope I, you, I, I have I not so. seen it. I'm yeah, excited yeah. for this. One. And then we also spent a day out in Minnesota, Western Minnesota, in farm country too. And Dave's story is is a great story because mm-hmm. of like you mentioned, you know his his. It's too hard to explain a full story like that, mm-hmm. which you guys have done well on your podcast here, and you've told his story. But you know we we just picked the highlight parts mm-hmm. of it, you know. So his his newfound love for hunting and his bird dog that wasn't a bird dog becoming a bird dog. Herbeck, Herbeck, yeah, and um, now how it filters into his passion for conservation too. I, I think I said this the last time I had Dave. I'm, my biggest regret is my pup Trammel dying, not being around by the time Dave and I started hunting together, knew each other, because I would have loved to have Trammel and Herbeck in yeah. the field together. <laughs> yeah. Like we both named our kind of uh, you know Genesis bird dogs after our childhood baseball idols. Yeah, you know from the '80s, Alan Trammel and Kent Herbeck. Was that your pick. Was that your favorite? Oh. You have no idea. Like my, yeah, I suppose my, mine would have been Kirby Puckett. You know, mm-hmm. growing up in that, watching baseball there. But I still, to this day, Jim Tomey is one of my favorite yeah. all-time baseball players. Just because frequent it, guest on Outdoor Channel. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah. I he hunted is. in his backyard, not like literal backyard. Yeah. But I hunted in Southern Illinois this last year. Have, and, you, uh, have you hunted with him? No, but uh, the Drurys hunt uh, a lot yep. with him, and mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, what I love is when you meet somebody like that, which I haven't met him yet, but I've heard. Um, you have an impression of him. Mm-hmm. I heard he's like a fantastic guy. I've heard like, that just consistently gr- from my twins. Right. Friends the wor- the worst is when you like, oh my god, I just love this guy, and you meet him, and they're like a, blow- you know, you may that catch him on a bad, too. you may catch him on a bad day on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like- people when I meet me, they always like, I thought you were taller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's not no. true. <laughs> we all know you're short, <laughs> and I'm short. I have one short story. We met uh, Dylan Scott, the country music guy, last weekend. Played at Winstock, and and I'd met him before, and I had interviewed him for my podcast. And um, but you see all the the photos of him, and you see, um, and he's he's a good looking guy. And he's he's like kind of chiseled in that. And the first time I met him, the dude's like five foot four. Huh. But from all of his P- PR images, you think he's like six four. Huh. But so. I'll tell you this: all my fish look bigger. <laughs> all my pheasants look bigger. You know, like I oh, th- it, in cl- comparison. <laughs> yeah. you know, so maybe that's uh, it's not all bad. I never Easy. thought of it that way. I got yeah. to roll with that too. Yeah, exactly. Go for it, Bob. <laughs> so July twenty fourth. That's uh, let's see. That'd be episode five the coming season mm-hmm. so folks can look for the trampled by birds the trampled by birds episode <laughs> season kicks off well season kick the second and third episodes we get a preview of at the film fest yeah um at and i, and I only fest. took a, a, a fraction of that adventure for the film fest i didn't show what we really experienced in in the the week that we were there. And so it ends up being two. So that what we're talking about is the, uh, the Alaska trip. Yep. Right. Yep. So at the film fest, you know, we had, um, what were there? Five films. If I recall correctly. Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah five or six. It, yep. It was, um, you guys had two, I think, I think, um, Ken, Ken Yang. Yep. Sorry. And Ray Trejo, the yep. scale quail. And then, um, you had one and project up one had two. Yeah. So, the, so the, yours was the Alaska ptarmigan hunt that you put together into a film. And for the television show, it's episodes two and three, July 3rd and July 10th. You break it into a two-parter. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think 
you know, Bob, you and I have talked about this for quite a while, actually. There's something that draws us to an adventure like Alaska. Mm-hmm. And um, I finally was able to make it work. There's a couple of guys my age that um, are actually younger than, than I am. And they're just diehard upland bird hunters. And in Alaska. And they live in Alaska. And they live in Alaska, yeah. So up there, um, you know, big game is king. Mm-hmm. But the amount of land that's available and you just have to be able to push your body to get to those places Mm. and they're willing to do that and it's one of those uh journeys that i won't ever forget because how challenging it was just to get where we needed to get and um i think it pushed our cameraman that was with Mm. on that one in ways that he didn't know was possible (laughs) um you're you're relying on things like a a satellite phone if things really get bad mm-hmm. you have bear spray for grizzlies you've mm-hmm. got a uh, handgun right here because it can come out in a half of a second right wow. in front of you um, did you so see grizzlies we saw one okay so one of the days we actually did take a float plane to fly into where we were going to begin this hunt and it uh, was a one-way flight in because the weather had just been terrible up there. There was a break in the weather. Pilot said, I'll fly you in, but I won't be able to fly you back out because the ceiling is going to drop. And, wow. you know, those bush planes up there really rely on visual on site. And you don't want to be. I've been in a bush plane that has been in. And if you know, they're, if they're telling you they're not going to fly in it, yeah. you know it's going to be bad yes. because they yeah. generally fly in the worst exactly. of conditions. And it was. It was exactly. I mean, I couldn't see the hunters 50 yards away from me. Really? Little afternoon. Yeah. Which so, makes it challenging for bird hunting too, right? Like knowing where they are for yep. safety purposes. Yeah. So getting to where you need to be to find the birds, that's the biggest challenge. And you typically either hike up out of tree line to get up there. Different parts of Alaska, of course, some people that may be listening, they're like, oh, ptarmigan are everywhere. They're stupid. They're all over the place. So there's different parts of the state where you can access the terrain easily. You're above tree line, like in the Arctic Circle, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, <clears throat> but you can't hunt in certain regions. It's interesting. The state is broken down into different regions and limits and seasons, but it's a very long season. It starts in August and goes through, I think, April. Mm up there and we got to experience a little bit of it before everything turned completely white okay and i think we timed it as good as we possibly could so did you go in august or were you we were in september september okay yep and the the two um eric locker and evan withrow the two gentlemen that i hunted with they were telling us about how last year at this time this this mountainside had eight feet of snow we couldn't get here again and the birds were starting, when we were there, they were starting to really flock up. Mm. So we we got into spots where they just kept coming. Like, you mm. thought you were done, and you couldn't reload fast enough. And we sat there. I, I think I'll always remember, you know, this this view sitting up in the mountains and behind this boulder as the weather's coming in. We, we all realize we got to eat. And so we... we clean birds right there on a on a on a rock and we are eye level with a glacier across the canyon and mountain nice. goats and we had this little jet boil and a little tiny container of olive oil and a little container of seasoning and we just seasoned them up right there and you we just finished 
harvesting ptarmigan and then eating them wow. right there. And I, I told the guys, I'm like, I could eat like six more birds, you know? <laughs> and so the limit is 10 huh. a piece. Huh. And uh, it reminded me of a rough grouse, even though it's a dark meat. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But the flavoring was extraordinary. Really? It was the most delicious bird. And maybe it's because we had hiked miles through mountains mm-hmm. to – to get to that point. You would eat in shoe leather and <laughs> maybe, but were they I'm eat? telling you it was so good. And there's three different kinds of berries mm, in the tundra up there. Thinking. And so they were eating berries and maybe that had part of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they were pine flavored right, birds spruce. Mm-hmm. or spruce. It was none of that. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Um, but they're white birds that were erupting out of this lush green and red canopy or not canopy, but like this, mm-hmm. the, the tundra. And then, there's three species up there. There's willow ptarmigan, white-tailed ptarmigan, and rock ptarmigan. And that wasn't our goal to, to go after the slam, but we put ourselves in position mm. to do that. And I I don't want to give away every part of it, mm-hmm. but one day we hiked, and it was like a six-hour hike from vehicle just to where we started hunting. Mm. And it was about a 4,000-foot elevation mm. gain to get there and then the hunt we we heard rock ptarmigan make this sound like a toad and i'm bad of hearing but the other guys were were good at hearing my eyes we were a team they heard the croaking i saw the white wing flap 900 feet above us and we went after it and we got into this wintering group of rock ptarmigan on what appeared to be the moon Um, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, that's what the terrain looked like up huh. there. And for a little while, looking around, you just think, I might be the only human that's ever stepped foot right here. And then there might not be another human to step foot here again because of how far we hiked in to get there and just how steep and jagged. Mm. And, and that for a little bit, when you look around in this massive landscape and you feel tiny and that's a good thing mm-hmm. and um and it, it's it just, really clear why you chose that story for the film fest because you put alaska on the big screen and the colors like you d- described the oranges and the some of the greens of the tundra with the white birds flood i mean visually that was the most stunning bird hunting photography, videography I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. Right? And then it it was unreal. You, so your your videographer who was really But, but here's uh, the thing. This cell phone that you see in my hand, yeah? That's what we filmed it on. No. Because there is no way. Yes, Bob. Yeah. So that's what this you know, like we're talking huh. about how things change. Yeah. The the iPhone film 90% of that film that you watched no that kid. night. That's and unbelievable. It is because what happened was we we have these big Eberly stock vests or backpacks and our guns in a scabbard and you have trekking poles because if you fall out there, yeah. you know, and the I did fall at one time, I, I slipped on a rock and I landed uh, awkwardly on my shin and my elbow and I just got lightheaded and I had to sit there for a minute. And actually we we did break down everything that we needed to get to where we got in Mm. the show. I just, I don't do that all the time, but I just, I took a moment to just like, this is what we, this is what we planned and why. And there's reasons behind it. So, um, the camera to get our cameraman six hours up the mountain with us, we packed it into 
um, the pack. Mm-hmm. And then he had the trekking poles because physically it just got too much to carry a big heavy camera. And we found that the footage we were getting with the iPhone um, allowed us to climb 900 feet straight up and capture a lot of that hmm. that action. And he was on the bottom on a tripod looking up with the with the big camera. So that particular film that we put together was almost 100% iPhone. That's the audio know. isn't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't come prepared for that. But in this world of TV media, you like you always have to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. You always have to be creative. You always have to make something happen. If we wouldn't have gone that route, we wouldn't have been able to capture. Because I at the time, Pete, our cameraman, has you know his leg was really acting up, and I'm like, well, this is our option, so we're going for it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it worked, I think, and it, no doubt about it, it worked. It was yeah. So scary. if when people watch it to see, you'll see a difference in colors a little bit. We tried to blend them as best we could, but um, amazingly, almost all of that particular adventure was captured on an iPhone. Mm. <laughs> That's. Stunning. Yeah. yeah. We'll see if it passes QC. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe shouldn't have told him <laughs> this. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it will. The quality yeah. control sitting right next to us. Yeah. We, of course, bring it into our editing software and, you know, the HD quality on a lot of this stuff. And I know you're getting other producers that do that kind of thing, too. Where, sure. I mean, what's the difference between that and a GoPro, mm-hmm. you know? And the GoPros that are out today are a lot higher quality too but the um the filters in this thing in this iphone stabilization stabilization is is almost the light that it brings in some of these 40 50 thousand dollar cameras that we hoist around don't show quality video in low light in the iphone like Mm. i'm in the boundary waters last week and i can take pictures of the stars Mm. with this thing you know in pitch black it's really fascinating to have you here from a just data perspective, viewership. I'm curious, do you have data on how a pheasant, like bird hunting show episodes break down based on the bird? Mm-hmm. So a pheasant-oriented episode versus quail versus Alaska ptarmigan. So a really high adventure versus, you know, I know how many people buy pheasant hunting licenses compared to ptarmigan. So my intuition is that pheasant hunting shows of the bird hunting would have the highest demographics, but maybe that's not true. Yeah, it, so I do have data like that. We can break it down. It's it's so hard though because we are a you know a niche network. Um, it's not like we're you know American Idol where they know to the minute the number of viewers mm-hmm. and how they've been. You know, we we get ratings data and we can see it, but it's hard to discern between trends like. You know, you have an episode that, that's during the week of July 4th. Well, July 4th, depending on where you're at and depending on the weather, can be a really bad ratings week mm-hmm. because people are outside ah, with their family. That. we got to move it. Right. <laughs> well, but the good news is the, the yeah. format is you, that show will, with July, August, September, that show will repeat in September, October. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. in the core where our audience is now participating and particularly the Upland audience. So, uh, so for just to break that down real quickly, so a thirteen episode show starts airing at the beginning of July. July, yeah. 
runs and then 13 runs weeks. July, August, September, and then so the third quarter, and then reboots again. Just so this is true of the flush. Yeah. First running of the show is in the third quarter, and then the second running kicks off again October, November, December right. through the fourth quarter. And it's interesting because the what we know about our audience is the audience builds in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are hardcore viewers who will watch that you know in its debut in the summertime. Uh, there's others that won't catch it till the second time. There's some that watch it both times. You know, they're only 22 minutes, and if you're passionate about it, you're like, you know, oh, I've seen this one before, but I'll watch it again. You see, because people are also watching with their phones now. They're not always just glued. We, As producers, we expect people to be completely glued into the screen. The reality is people are, and I, I'll do this all the time. When I'm involved with a production, I'll, I'll show my wife, I'll show my family, and I'm like, they'll be like looking at something. I was like, no, you, you, you got to watch this. This is coming. You got to see this. Did you see that? It is like, you know, <laughs> it's it's the, the ADHD the nature of you know consuming media these days is people are not that tuned in but our we buck that trend like our end our networks our content it's get it gets higher average viewing time uh, we get better recept reception of commercials in our content because if you're hunting upland um, and a uh, benelli upland commercial comes on or a federal ammunition commercial it's almost like part of the editorial content mm-hmm. it's you don't feel like you're being sold something you'd be like oh, okay yeah well that's the new you know. so we so our viewers they watch a lot of it live mm-hmm. they watch a lot they watch the commercials and you know if they like it and we know that the easiest audience to get is the one you already have mm-hmm. so we try to block our content we have another upland show that we produce you know we own gundog magazine and the team from gundog callie parmley is a associate publisher i think she She's the host of a show called Wild Upland Now and Outdoor. So, and that's more of a, it's similar style to Flush, but more, it's not just pure uh, pheasant. It's so they're packaged together in the same time slot. So I don't, I don't know for sure because they actually debuted the series in the second quarter. I don't think they have new episodes yet, but but we'll start doing that. We have a waterfowl show, uh, The Fowl Life with Chad Belding, kind of the anchor. The Flush has really been our anchor for Upland, and The, um, uh, the Fowl Life has been for waterfowl. Uh, that genre doesn't have as broad appeal as whitetail on our network mm-hmm. whitetail and bass generally drive the outdoor content mm-hmm. industry but um the quality of the flush is that y- you may not be interested in, in or participate much in upland hunting but because of alaska because of the journey because of the quality and the imagery it, it's hard to make an upland show or a turkey show for that matter that interesting because a bird flushes you shoot it the dog retrieves it yeah. it's fun it's good mm-hmm. but it's 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 very repetitive and you could say the same i guess about deer but with deer you know the characteristics of the deer are different the the you know what's the technique the the story itself can be varied it's um, it's funny though because I, I do relate it back to like you travis you mentioned the upland community you know responding to the flush like for me a deer show is a deer show is a deer show Right, I'm, yeah. I'm not offended by that. No, I yeah, right. there's, there's no. It's the host, like the, the host, like and my personal life. Um, my identity is connected to dogs, and there's so much. Yeah, it's this, it, it, you know, pheasant over, you know, quail rising. You know, seeing that gets me juiced. It's not right. the repetitive, and there's a narrative there that I think is underappreciated to the whitetail audience are like oh we're hunting big charlie and we got these it's like i'm hunting those same moments behind my best friend oh, my yeah. dog right yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you know this you're a dog yeah. owner and i just think that's underappreciated industry-wide uh, that because 
there's probably there is a greater point to entry to getting into upland bird hunting because of the dog yeah. right there's a major commitment there sure because it changes your lifestyle yeah but those that narrative that connection to the land that connection to an animal that exists in bird hunting just the same or different depending on how you look at it as the whitetail audience right i I think if you look at hunters on a line Mm -hmm. and you have the upland community and in it you have those subsets you have you know the the labs versus the pointers (laughs) you have whatever the the grouse you have the quail you have the dove hunters and you know we didn't grow up in a dove hunting kind of culture but dove hunting is a big part of that down there right and like ice up here we we don't maybe know on the deer uh hunter side of the of the the line there you also have a very wide you have the um you know wisconsin meat hunter who goes once a year they mm-hmm. do a deer drive they don't it's brown it's down mm-hmm. i'm just filling the freezer mm-hmm. god bless them you know they mm-hmm. buy a license yep. they're it's a family piece of it to the you know to the other extreme which is you know lee and tiffany lukowski who have built an enterprise around growing and managing their farms for growing big deer right mm-hmm. so there's a huge and, and there's a lot more people who participate in that so there's a it's it, there's more uh demand for it and mm-hmm. I, I think the host has a big difference in it like mm-hmm. we had people w- would complain about ted nugent he's not on our network anymore but you know there's also a bunch of people that they just loved seeing ted show up in a tree shooting whatever came by right mm-hmm. for guys like us for everybody a, that loves them there's just as many that right him. yeah yeah exactly but yeah. but the you know in in entertainment sometimes haters are helpers too like you know, sure. they're talking about him and they can't stop watching him but they don't like him you know but <laughs> They threaten to turn off the TV, but they they don't generally. But anyway, that's a that's a whole, well, yeah. that's a whole other podcast. But the but you're right. I, I think the the um, the Upland community is it's uh, and it, it shows in our ratings. The Flush is not our highest rated show. It it rates well, but it fits an important niche there where we have we want to have a a variety of programming for our audience, mm-hmm. and um, you know so we love we love having the Flush on there. You know, you mentioned earlier about the male-female demographics. And, you know, Outdoor Channel deserves a lot of credit in helping change that by bringing forward Tiffany Lukoski, Eva Shockey, and, and Nicole Reeve, and, it, it, right, and Candy Kiske, women, Gina um, giving them a platform so other people watching, oh, this is approachable. I've this seen does, I've seen it firsthand. Makes, it's cool. Eva Shockey. I've seen, you know um, young girls coming up to Eva Shockey at a trade show in tears mm-hmm. because they're just like they met her and what she you know showed them that it's okay to be you know a woman and but also have this passion for hunting. It's it's cool. And I think there's more appetite for that. I mean, yeah. I, it, we see that within our own membership and our own audiences. Can I share a quick story about my, because you mentioned early on about uh, husbands and wives. I've always wanted my wife to be in a hunting camp. I took her to a turkey camp and, you know, it was was a bunch of dudes, right? And we had, we made a meal and the meal was, it was amazing. We had upland, we had some pheasant, we had a guy had just shot a caribou, we had venison, and there was like six different kinds of meat and um, no one brought any vegetables, so we, f- we had mushrooms. <laughs> so we ate mushrooms, but we didn't have, like, butter, so we used, like, whipped cream. And it's like, I was like, honey, this is a camp meal. It's meat. We know none of the dudes planned anything. But she's like, what? You didn't even think about a salad? No, 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 there's no <laughs> salad. But anyway, I've just always loved – and people are like, you bring your wife to hunting camp? And I was like, man, I just – I love having my wife participate. I mean, we have three boys, too. And, you know, if she had a girl that – a little girl she could hang out, be, might be different. But so when, you know – Well, she Luke, said something years ago that – it stuck with me. If she wanted to be a part of all these things, she had 
to be a part of all these things. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. if she wanted to be a part of her boys' lives growing up. This was important to them. Too. Right. She was some missing yeah. out if she's seeing pictures. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, she took you know Travis took you and the boys sunfishing you know for for sunfishing. You get the, an epic photo that I still have my phone of my kids when they're under ten with Travis holding sun sunnies on uh, on Waconia. Yeah. She so yeah she wanted to participate. Well now our you know because we're empty nesters and we bought a dog, um, and you know I I work with the dog every day she but she uh takes care of luna as well and and loves her to death so i said i took her on her first took kristen and luna on their first south dakota hunt hmm. and we went up to uh we did it all on our own we went to aberdeen you know and, and by the way the resources there mm -hmm. um uh, what that community has done to help people get access to yeah. property in that yeah. not to mention that the Dawkins live up there and we got to have dinner with the Dawkins. we didn't hunt with them but but we went and stayed at a little hotel up there and and in a crappy little hotel and I keep telling my wife I said this is part of the experience get a bad steak in the restaurant <laughs> um, uh, I don't drink anymore so it, normally you'd have a few cocktails she had a couple of cocktails but we got up and I think we hiked probably seven miles a day uh, and that was for her it was perfect we had perfect weather it was like 50 55 degrees um we hunted this one management area that was 120 acres and we hunted it for two days actually and we saw one other group there mm. but we um i shot she didn't kill a pheasant uh, because it didn't really matter i shot one bird like every three miles we walked mm. and it was enough because we got to work the dog we got to sit i have, I have photos i can show you sitting up on this hill you know this blue sky is absolutely beautiful so um we had a and, and then to, to experience our dog doing its first ever retrieve in mm -hmm. South Dakota, and it was a good one, a long-range one, and just to see her. Because at that point, I'm still learning how to hunt with her. Like she's, she's, got, she's got all the skills she needs. I just need to figure out better how to. I don't know if you noticed that earlier. I saw she needed water. At least I'm in tune now. I was like, <laughs> she, I was like that dog needs some water, so I brought her water. But so that's why we're um, – so now we're planning. It's it's it has been an, an absolute lifestyle change for us. Like I, I, um, I actually converted my pickup truck into a essentially a, a upland hunting machine. Mm. Our mutual friend uh, Ben Brettingen inspired me a little bit on some of that. But I've got you know I've got the gunner kennel. I've got a topper on it now. I didn't do the the nerdy uh, plumber high topper <laughs> that that Ben has because I I can't. I, I it was an adjustment for me just to do a topper because I'm not a topper guy, but I am now and and, and absolutely love it. But yeah, um, I, and I had a I talked with Tina Dawkin yesterday because it was Luna's second birthday, um, and Tina really helped us find Luna, and then the Dawkins helped us train her in that. And she said, "Well, now you need an ATV for your training of the." I was like, "So I got to finish my truck project before <laughs> I take on." You need a cap. On. You need a uh, the the cap that pulls down on the topper. Yeah. No. I so Ben explained to me that I can't do that without the nerdy plumber topper <laughs> because your kennel won't fit underneath the. You need a different kennel. Yeah, I do have my kennel is I'll like go look at my, my kennel looks this. like a bunker. <laughs> I got a bigger dog than you though. My my girl is seventy pounds. I'm st I'm right. still confident that you can get this. Yeah. <laughs> She's seventy pounds and she has different needs than your pointing dog. I mean, you're, you're, oh, you're, oh, here we go. She needs to be coddled. Oh, she needs to be coddled a little. <laughs> I, I have a funny story this is there what too. It's so like every time. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember because I was here when you bought Trammel. Mm. and Steve That's Reese, right. Steve yep. Reese uh, from Top Gun Kennels was, uh, I had gone to um, his um, hunting event in Iowa a couple of times. I went Aiming for a cure. Aiming for mm -hmm. a cure, Pat and Nicole, you know, what a, what an organization, very inspirational. We, we filmed a story there, and then I actually went with Ron, and we hunted uh, with Steve, mm. and we hunted with um, Henry, 
Yeah. Like one of like we hunted we, these dogs, as you know, yeah. like your these dogs are Higgins. Higgins, yes. Higgins was Sir Higgins. Yep, Trammell's father. Yeah, and I have a Higgins story too. I can tell you, um, <laughs> but it was funny because Ron, the quintessential lab guy, and Steve Reese, this you know, it was like I, I was joking at the time. I said it's like we've got you know the Jews and the Arabs in the field together, and they're trying to get the dogs to. And Ron had actually we had a we had a good hunt, and Ron got to see the the pointers and the short hairs working hard, and and they actually worked okay together. It was actually pretty cool, but uh, um, I had. Um, one of the offspring uh, from Higgins, Henry, I think was one. Henry was an offspring. So Henry Higgins, stayed yeah. at my house one night um, uh, during game fair hmm. because we were looking. But again, I was in the middle of my career. I was traveling a, a, a whole bunch, and that dog was so wired to hunt. It was like he would go down to my kid's ba- room in the basement and bring up a stuffed animal. And by the time you could take it back and put that away, he had another one. It was like that dog, dog wore us out overnight. We're like, okay, we're not, we're not, we're not ready. Um, but anytime I would drive by uh, the Top Gun, Kennels Down and I were there, um, I would stop. And I remember going to see the puppies. And that was, that was before the, the, uh, Henry came to our house. Uh, Higgins was the father. So mm-hmm. Trammell may have been in that litter before you had him. Wow. And I walk into the kennel and I'm going to look at the puppies and Higgins was on the other side of the kennel and he was, he had his back to me and he kept looking back over at me. He was annoyed that people were there to see the dog, the puppies and not paying any attention <laughs> to him, but just total per- no, great personality, amazing dog. <laughs> so um, a lot of fun, but you know, we opted for a lab partly because you know, I've got a son with special needs and, and the lab we've always loved the, mm. just the, pr- the, the, the pressure sensitive lab, you know, they want to be leaning on you. They want to be, you know, they want to mm. be close and that we're like for, you know, it's, it's definitely a hunting dog and, uh, and we've given her some great hunting experiences already and she's she's fantastic in the field um but it's also a family dog and that was one of the characteristics that the dockins helped us find was a, a dog that will be good in the field that has that drive but also has that switch so she can be um uh, a good dog in the house bob on that have you ever seen a dog because i always hear people say this i wanted a family dog too mm. um have you ever seen a dog that doesn't have that loving side that doesn't automatically fold yeah, cause into like, the family. Yeah, because, like, they all do. Yours, your, your pointers, you know, mine, I mean, she snuggles up between my two boys on, mm-hmm. on the bunk bed at night. And I think sometimes different pointing breeds, like English pointers, for example, mm-hmm. or pointers, they are so commonly thought of as just this hunting machine with mm-hmm. no personality or anything. Right. But if you if you bring them inside and you love on them like you would a lab, yeah. you see the same thing. Yeah. Like, I really believe that all the dogs' breeds would do the same thing. Labs just have this, um, like, this, it's a family dog type mm-hmm. of feel to it that people know. But I, I really do think, Mitch, like, if you had Daisy here, do she would do the exact same oh, I, thing. I, I and if you had it. Bob's dogs, his German short hairs, I think... I would, think there is, it's more nurture Yes. More than nature. Yeah. You know, they'll, I think they'll all fold into a family. I do think, though, that, as Mitch mentioned, <laughs> the short hair needing. Needs. Um, yes. It, like, when people ask me, well, you know, I'm, I'm torn between a lab and a short hair. Okay, so then it really comes down to two questions. What kind of style? Because they're dramatically different Very styles, much. right? Yep. So, and if you figure out that, then you also, if, if you go towards the short hair because you want a pointer then you do have to ask yourself 
do I have the time to give this dog the exercise it truly needs? Because mentally... And the facilities, right? The yard, or, right? <laughs> well, well, the space. Yeah, because yeah, that does play in. Now, I've had short hairs when I was younger, living in an apartment, downtown complex, but I had to be very deliberate about getting them extra, right? But yeah. um, they legitimately need to run every day. Yeah. They need to run. Yeah. And, it, it, and the lab doesn't to be mentally... Otherwise, like, you get a short hair and they don't run free... They're going to become a barker, a digger, something, mm. right? They're going to dig the backyard up. They're going to choose something. But if you can give them a two-mile run, they're going to be chill. Is yeah. It's so Snoop funny this morning. Couch, I texted you know? Mitch. I said, Mitch, you bringing your pup in? He goes, absolutely. I took her for a walk this morning to wear her out a little bit. And I laughed to myself because I thought, if I take my dog for a walk, mm-hmm. I'm slowing her down. She needs to run. Yeah. I, yeah. I, she has to have the freedom to get, a, get out and run it out because walking is like the slowest thing she right. could no, I, do. And I actually I, I was off leash with her. So I have mm-hmm. I live in the West Metro, the Twin Cities. So I'm right on the edge of of like the dense population i'm a mile from medina essentially which is you know farm country and um i've got probably five i i've got enough property in town to be able to throw the dummy for her to work her in my backyard fence and things that's fine but um within seven to ten minutes drive i've got five off-leash facilities one of which hmm. is uh it's funny there's a conservation easement there's a property it's the the minnesota land trust it's right up it's in hennepin county nobody knows about it hmm. and so that's where i went today it's off leash i go back out there um i go there a lot and that gives her the ability to run yeah but i i didn't get her tired enough she still had a you know, she comes in here and she sees the ball and i was talking <laughs> i was talking to tina Dockin about it yesterday like i was paranoid as a as a first time hunting dog working dog owner uh-huh. who sent her through training i was afraid i was going to do something that would screw her up it's like you know she doesn't have a lot of toys at home she's uh mm-hmm. she has an antler her favorite toy is her antler that she'll carry around and she'll chew um but uh now that she's from gone the one through, buck you finally got uh, oh. you don't Shots you must fired. not follow my instagram <laughs> no um but she um um she just loves the ball and it's funny we'll have geese in our yard and she'll be outside and if there's a ball around she doesn't care about the geese um she just loves it but but uh and she Hmm. and it's playtime but then when i take her in the backyard and i put the collar on her and throw the she she has a very clear um understanding what's work and what's play now Hmm. which is which is fun but she's just she's just got a lot of energy um and, and then about how, like, she definitely at night when she's had a good day, she's just great to be around. She lays around. She sleeps. She wasn't just like, like you would expect her to do. If we haven't gotten her out, and it hasn't, didn't need to be a two, even if you just get her out for a little bit of a walk to, to get some smells going and that, um, she'll start grabbing shoes. She doesn't destroy them, but it's like it's like that's her signal to us that she didn't get enough activity that day. <laughs> so we'll be sitting down down for the night, and she'll go and she'll grab a shoe and she'll set it down, and she'll go and she'll find a ball and settle down and, and want to play. But uh, but she also has she has a, her own Instagram account too, doesn't she? She does, which as cheesy as it sounds, you know the reason I did that you was <laughs> I I, di- I didn't want my own Instagram to just be about me and my uh-huh. dad and my dog, even though it, oh, it's so mostly you follow a, me then. Yes. No, but and so I set it up, and uh, you know, not gonna lie, I was hoping that would be my retirement plan too. If she she becomes an internet sensation, then I, I could retire. No, but I, I like to. I'm reaching a very small audience of people who are interested and intrigued by our lifestyle, Mm. and uh, you know, I that's I post things. 
that I hope inspire people to get out with their families. Mm. And uh, what I love to go back full circle to talking about Travis and how we all got back together. Um, I follow Travis a lot. Mm-hmm. He's one of my, I don't know, on Instagram. On the lake. I can't get rid of him. He's following me. <laughs> I got all, all my fishing Where's spots. The- are- <laughs> he's Check- on the rock again. Yeah. No, because he's he's where I was 10 years ago. He's got four young kids. Mm-hmm. He's ex- I, And I'll send him pictures sometimes of our experiences together with my kids. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun. And we did have a day on the water where you and your kids were, uh, you gave us a crappie spot. We came and we sat and we were, we were watching Travis fish with his kids in the boat, like 50 feet from us. It was a lot of fun. And, cool. uh, yeah, I, you know, and, uh, and I think Travis gets to see in my world, like my kids participate. Mm. My son went to university of North Dakota. He graduated in communications and waterfall hunting. Hmm. <laughs> um, he did uh, a lot he, of those graduates for up Delta there. Now? Uh, no, no, no. He no. just went duck hunting. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and then I, my youngest is, um, is at, uh, Montana state university in Bozeman, but okay. he's really into, um, like snowboarding, but he's into, he shot his first mule deer this year. Yeah. Um, that's, it's another interesting experience you know, in this world of, you know, fear of guns and everything. When we brought our son to Montana, um, they have an armory at the police station and we sent our kid to college with a, uh, a Remington 870, a, um, Kimber 270 rifle and a Glock 10 millimeter <laughs> handgun that he has out there. Because that's the lifestyle, you know, and there was a line of students with their families checking checking in in firearms, right? It's just part of that culture, you know, Um, and it's been great for me. He had a great first year. He's going back. In fact, he um, rented an apartment and very put uh, Montana license plates on his Tacoma as he ain't coming back to Minnesota. So that's why my wife and I are planning our our fall trip. Uh, This right here is the kickoff of our planning. Our conversation after this will be where, where we need to go. Uh, but no, we're going to go um, because we've seen a lot of the flush. We've seen a lot of the and heard the stories about um, uh, the, the hunting in Montana. And, you know, I've I've hunted in Montana, uh, the big game hunting. It's a it's a whole different ball game out there. The landowners are uh, it's not always a pleasant experience for out of state people to be hunting big game in Montana. Mm-hmm. Her tires get slashed at, you know, at uh, game ranges and that because yeah. they don't like I actually we did the, the warden show in Montana for six years. We used to get viewer feedback from Montana. It's like, quit sending people to our state. You don't pay taxes here. These are our animals. It's like, okay, I guess you don't understand the conservation model in the United States, but okay. Um, but the uplands, I've heard great stories about people getting access to mm-hmm. land in Montana and landowners. And so um, we have a kid out in Bozeman, so I, I do want to go out there uh, and spend a couple weeks in Montana. Uh, the luxury of my job is I can, if, as long as there's cell service, I can make phone calls, I can work a computer as much as I need to, but uh, really just want to get out and experience um, Montana. And then it sounds like Alaska is going to be uh, <laughs> Ptarmigan. The, the, I would love that. Yeah. I mean, that, that if would you be ever cool. have the opportunity, I've talked about that a lot to people, you know, it's just one of those things where you might have to plan for it, you know, yeah, down the road, but you know, it's attainable though. That's, attainable. that's what, that's yeah, what's yeah. good about it. The, yeah. you know, yeah, you, you, you probably don't have to buy a $10,000 tag and you know, it, there's cost to it, but you yeah. can plan for that cost. That's what our, our viewers like that. They like that, uh, you know, we're showing them things that they can do. The Jim Shockey, Yukon moose hunt. That's cool. That's also aspirational. Yeah, sure. And to, to tie that into one of the questions you had, um, I've seen a lot of data. We have a massive amount of data regarding big game hunting mm-hmm. And um, in general, like in Jim Shockey specifically, um, a we'll call it a thirty thousand dollar Yukon moose adventure 
didn't perform any better than a you know a typical whitetail hunt for him or a bear hunt or mm-hmm. you know um so even though that hunt was by our standards you know a, a amazing hunt and a big deal mm-hmm. um are i've heard outfitters you know jim told me one time uh that he doesn't give away hunts like for like even like if lee lukoski wants to go on a moose hunt it's like it's not going to sell more hunts for him in his outfitting business because it's such a once in a lifetime thing. But if you have a, a bear outfitter who's offering bear hunts for 2,500 bucks, their phones will ring off the hook. I got complaints from a bear outfitter that we didn't warn him that the episode was airing because his voicemail filled up and things, you know, so our audiences are massive and they're looking for attainable opportunities. I would uh, say on our end, I've had some people that we've filmed with ask us to stop airing, a show because there's too many people that want to come out there. Right. Yeah. After, after seeing it. And cause it's like the, the thing that's really, um, a little bit different. I'm not, not really different, but a little bit different than big game is that Upland you're able to get out and walk and move and cover and ground and you're going to different places. And a lot of it's public lands. Uh, whereas big game, a lot of times you're sitting in a deer stand, you might have 160 acres and that's like, you're square. You're kind of in it right. and try to outsmart that particular buck. Or get lucky, have them show up, right? Yeah, exactly. By percentage, how much of the complaints you receive are related to hot spotting? Concerns um, around that's, sending people to a particular place. My assumption <clears throat> is that's like 75% yeah, of anything. Yeah, people – so a lot of people want us to post, well, zoom in on the map a little bit more <laughs> or like the Onyx graphic that pops up. It's very generalizes in a region of the state because if we were to zoom in tight on it, like yeah. it would just be overrun that's and we don't want that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a struggle and it doesn't matter how far out we zoom, somebody's going to complain about that's right. like almost 90% of the complaints. But you are, don't, you don't need to, because even though you're on that hot spot, there are, you know, it's like a fishing a lake in Minnesota. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, the Waconia bite's great. But you know what? The bite's great on a, on 400 lakes within 50 miles of Waconia Sure, but too, it's the, the person that that's their favorite spot. Right. You know, so we try not to. And you you talked about, you know, having live questions during the mm-hmm. show. I could envision 95% of them being, where are you? Mm-hmm. Where in, like, what's which WMA are you on? Mm-hmm. You know, and giving, they're wanting to know those specific names. Yeah. And it really is an overwhelming amount of people that want to know that and 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 to bring that full circle the same complaints are the people that don't want that mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we we struggle to meet the demands of people and we generalize a lot yeah. and i think we're just going to continue to generalize because the the vast majority of our shows the flush are on public lands right. and we're hunting wild birds um Occasionally, you know, a couple of years ago, I hunted uh, at a hunting lodge in South Dakota, and that's the only time in my life I've ever done that. Mm. And I know that some of those birds are wild, and I know that some of those birds were released, you know, at a at a hunting uh, operation. But the story was about these soldiers that mm. fought in wars and had PTSD, and the dogs that were trained to come alongside them. And this was a celebration that they all completed the training course with uh, the organization Believe It. Um, and 
the story behind it was so powerful in my mind that I, I wanted to share it and go with them on their celebration pheasant hunt at the end of it mm-hmm. because their dogs got to then some of them never smelt the pheasant mm-hmm. it wasn't about that it was about them being in the field together camaraderie right. and they all had the same sort of story and sam daly trained dogs to smell bombs to save human lives mm-hmm. you know and he did that in afghanistan multiple yeah. tours over there and now he's training dogs to save lives of soldiers suffering back home and to me, the pheasant allowed us the ability to tell that story. And that's the only time that I've gone and hunted a bird that wasn't a wild bird that I'm aware of. Um, and so getting back to the public land mm-hmm. side of it, you know, that's where people are really fascinated, or not fascinated, but interested, I feel mm-hmm. like, since we've really transitioned to that adventure side of, mm-hmm. of television and showing people what's out there. They want to know exactly where, yeah, yeah. and we have to tell them it's out there. We could go on forever. We could dive deep on every episode. Give yeah. us an overview. You go from well, Maine to Alaska. What 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 are some of the things you want to point people towards? Yeah, I think uh, once again we really strive for a variety in different birds, different places. We have some pheasants in there. We have grouse. We have quail. We have human interest stories this year. Sad stories. I've been on a couple hunts over the last few years where people are, you know, they're on their last hunt. Mm. And I did that again this year, and I just got goosebumps thinking about it again. But um, uh, a gentleman who his we went to a quail camp, and buddies that get together every year to go hunt. And this was one last get-together because um, one of their friends has, a, you know, terminal uh, illness. And his wife came with to help, and he can't carry his shotgun, so she did. Hmm. And she hmm. carried a chair, and he's, he wanted to see his dogs hunt again, and he wanted to be out there with his buddies. And so she was at his side, and, um, you know, it, it the story revolves around quail, but it's about friends, and it's about so much more. Hmm. So that's an example of an episode that people Which will see. Which one is that? A Kansas quail camp. Okay. Yep. That's the show, the season closer. Yep, that'll be at the September. end. September. 18th yep and we hunted you and i hunted together bob Mm -hmm. i always enjoy that uh hunted in north dakota with renee tamala and emily spoliar and that was another life changer Mm -hmm. because it's the best pheasant hunt of the season Mm. you know how great ours was Mm. that one shortly after just the amount of birds the weather the dogs and we were there to celebrate our dogs because we all signed up our dogs for Pheasants Forever Life memberships. Mm. So that was a, you know, a get together, the three of us hunting birds everywhere, Bob. We were having the times of our lives Mm. until we weren't because um, I think most people listening know that Renee's dog took a terrible, terrible fall. Yeah. And that was, you did a podcast with Renee just a few like a month ago. Yeah, maybe a month and a half or something yeah. like that. Um, and Renee opened up because that was a really tough thing uh, for her to go through. And her dog is a miracle dog. Mm-hmm. You know, but that that hunt changed very quickly. Mm-hmm. Everything changed when um, Quill took a terrible fall and landed on a frozen riverbank. And we did everything we could to save that dog's life. And... I think that dog is going to hunt again. Mm-hmm. Wow. This yeah. season. Yeah. I think so. Yep. 
Uh, I told August, Renee, like, I want to be there. I don't know that I'll be able to be there, but I, she's like, I am not going to be able to see the bird. My eyes are going to be so mm-hmm. blurred up from the tears. And that's a story of inspiration right mm-hmm. there, too. And um, so. And that's August 14th. So you got that uh, mm-hmm. destination television there. Yeah. And if, you just if, sold another life membership for dogs because I didn't know that was a thing. So now I'm going to have to buy one for Luna. Wonderful. There you, there you go. There you go. And on that, the Hank Hunt is a hunt that we've done the last couple of years. Yeah. And people that um, sign up for the Hank Hunt come with us. It's a very limited number based on what we can kind of put on a great hunt, wild birds and a lodge. Um, then the people that sign up come and be a part of this celebration of dogs and they're on the flush on the TV show. And everybody that comes to that, uh, gets a, gets a dog life membership. That money we raise goes back to pheasants forever. We are doing it again this year. By the time this podcast airs that we're talking on right now, it may be sold out. I'm not entirely sure yet, but, um, we're excited about it. We're going quail hunting this year. And it, Can I talk about this right now? Bob, yeah, it, the, it'll be, where will you sell it if people, to be able to look for it? Is that on the Facebook page? Ah, boy, I'm not in charge of social media. No, sorry. So, but yeah. Um, yes. I mean, so go to the flush, the flush on Instagram or Facebook, and you're probably going to see a, a uh, Hank Hunt yep. post or two. And what we've done the last two years on our podcast, the Flush Podcast, we've announced the Hank Hunt and told people where to go. And within the day, it's been sold out. So that's why I don't know when our show is going to air and when this one is going to air in proximity. But I do know that you guys are auctioning off the last spot. Yeah, we're saving the final spot for after afterward for a fundraiser. Yeah, so I hope people will... Go to that, bid on that, and then I get to hunt with that person and the rest of the group. Um, We're going quail hunting this year, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm I'm so proud to be able to do these things. And Bob, I know you are too. But we we give the we don't keep anything there. We give it back, and it goes back to create more wild places that we all love. And and that's why I really I personally value your friendship, Bob. But obviously the relationship with Pheasants Forever, yeah, and likewise. being able to work together and try to make places a little better so other people can enjoy it. That's that's what Do we're you guys after. Need a little alone time. <laughs> well, well, but I feel the same way too about both of you. So. <laughs> uh, it's been fabulous, guys, and we're going it, wonderful conversation. It always goes. It always over, goes. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, folks want to find out more information about the show mm-hmm. and about you throughout, you know, the show's yeah, they feeds, to, your feeds. The, they can go to The Flush, and that's on, just search The Flush TV, mm-hmm. and you'll find us online. You'll find us on the social channels as well. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just Travis Frank, a simple guy that loves to hunt and share stories. And fish, and has, and has fish wonderful and, photos of And laugh kids. with friends, and that's why, I, like, when Mitch and I get together, it's fun because I give him such a hard time, and mm-hmm. he gives it right back. And I'm grateful that, you know, I met him at a Pheasants Forever banquet. Mm. He hired me the next day. The next day. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, he guided my niece to a, a near state record largemouth bass. Mm. 
Uh, remember that? I think that still might be the largest bass in my boat. People ask what the it's biggest massive. one is, and I it, go back and I try to yeah. I try to find that picture from years Close ago. to a state record, like wow. over eight pounds, but wow. like eight six is a record or something like that. It was like eight one maybe. Yeah, or? we didn't. It was before bass season, so it was oh, caught and released right away. Gotcha. But it could have been close to nine pounds. Wow. It was that big. Anyway, totally different story, Mitch. Yeah. You, you always get a sidetrack. Mitch, if folks want to uh, follow you or Luna. Yeah. How do they uh, How do they find you? You know, Instagram or Facebook, Mitch Petrie. P-E-T-R-I-E. Official is my uh, lame Instagram. But Lady Luna Lab Life, that's Lady Luna. Luna Lab Life. Okay. Yeah, so she's a that's And a if deal. folks have a whiz-bang, that's a Joe Dugan reference, whiz-bang idea for a television show. Yeah, go to OutdoorChannel.com. We have a, a form. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, not not to open the conversation up again, but more often than not now, it's, the concepts are well beyond a TV show. Mm. It's a brand. It's content. It's social. It's digital. Uh, but the linear TV show. Podcast. Yeah, podcasting yeah. Uh, offers a great opportunity to really reach a, a wide audience. So, yeah, there's forms for submitting ideas on cool. OutdoorChannel.com. And uh, for this oh, coming story hunting ideas. season yep. yeah i mean bob we always are looking for the next great bird hunting adventure we get them all the time regularly it just depends on the hunting season how short it is what we can where we can be and when but people that might have an idea for us to come out and film we're looking for them and we want to hunt with pheasants forever quail forever members people that are passionate about uplands and think that they might have something really cool uh we want to hear about it and like i said it's human interest stories, it's adventures, it's dogs, it's all of it. So if you can send us as much information, and you can, again, there's a form on our page as well. at on the, the Flush website? TV. Yep, yep. The Flush TV. Yep. And if you fill that out and send it, the more information, the better. We have a meeting in this very room that we're sitting in right now, and we throw them all out there. And then we try to look at a calendar and say we can be here, here, here. October, November are, are packed. Yeah, so we, if you can, if you have ideas yeah. for late season stuff, mm -hmm. those are cherries, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah, exactly. So we're open to any idea, all of them. And if we don't get it that season, this coming season, mm -hmm. we may hold it. I have a folder that mm -hmm. has years worth of story ideas, and I'll go back and be like, hey, is this still an option? Because yeah. I really liked it. It's just that we had three other quail hunts in that region planned and we just wanted a variety right yeah when's that meeting it, it's generally this soon soon, right? soon but as you know we're learning about bird numbers all around right. the country right now right so we don't you know we don't plan necessarily um too early because sometimes those plans need to change based on the hatch was terrible right or the hatch was awesome right and we're finding that out july august a lot of times and then we say all right this is where we right. need to go and this is where we need to avoid and it might be a hailstorm yet to come we don't yeah, know hopefully not i know i wanted to talk to you bob i wanted <laughs> to pick your brain about what your what your biologists are seeing out fingers there. crossed folks i'm hearing lots of good things i am it, too the drought obviously we, we really long brutal winter mm -hmm. but falls are made in the springtime Right, it, yep. it's not necessarily about the adult carryover. You want enough, right? But success and bag limits in the fall are made with nesting season. You had an early green up in a lot of part of the country. Mm. That green up created nesting cover and it created insects. And I think 
you know, in first nestings, as opposed to if a nest gets eaten out by a raccoon or a skunk. So first nesting, a pheasant will, or even quail, you know, 11 to 13 eggs. I'm generalizing the numbers. But if the skunk eats that nest, they'll try again, but then the number of eggs will go down. Seven, Is it like five to eight? Seven, yeah, five yeah, to eight, seven okay. to nine. That happens again. Raccoon eats the nest. They'll try a third time. Um, but that goes down significantly, three to five, right? Mm -hmm. So you can see the power of the first attempt. People often say, well, there was a second nesting. That's not going to happen with pheasants. It could happen with quail because of what I term the Mr. Mom advantage. Uh, Bobwhite quail, the males will sit and incubate a nest. So the female could pull off as many as three clutches Ooh. in a year. So a quail population could absolutely hockey stick it when, in terms of a rise in population in really good conditions of a nesting season. But that's not quite as prolific for pheasants because they're just they're going to have one clutch. But my point, is, overall point, is the more successful first clutches you can get mm -hmm. into a brood of chicks the better the hunting season is going to be, right? Because it just makes sense in those numbers. Mm -hmm. So long-winded answer, our nesting season in much of the country has been dry, and chicks are vulnerable to, you know, hailstorms and cold, wet rains. We haven't well, had that. We haven't had it. We've had a bit too much of a drought because we want that habitat and mm -hmm. things to, to flourish here. But if we get rains you know, in the next couple of weeks here, it could be just about perfect from a nesting perspective. And I, you know, the brutal winter, I still am amazed at the reports that I've heard about how many people have seen a lot of birds this spring yeah. in those brutal winter areas. And I was just having a conversation the other night on the boat with somebody that was trying to understand how birds and everything works. And I said, if you lose half of your population that winter, if a hen gets you 10 more, mm -hmm. You're okay. Yep. You know, so it's it's what happens in June and July. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah. re you know May, June, July makes really exciting yeah. October, November, December. Yeah. Um, all right. The flush, the twelfth season of the flush airs on Outdoor Channel Mondays night. And now all times are Eastern, so make them uh, fit your time zone. Monday. 9.30 a.m., Wednesdays, 12.30 p.m., Fridays, 3.30 p.m., the money slot, Saturday morning, 8.30 a.m. Don't worry about Saturday morning cartoons. Turn into the flush. Saturdays, 8.30 a.m., and Sundays, 6.30 a.m. Fellas, really appreciate you. Thanks, Bob. Joining me and talking dogs, talking history, a little musky fishing. Bird. Buckle up. We've got a big Montana conversation coming up as soon as we turn this <laughs> off with Mitch. <laughs> well, let's do that. Fellas, thanks very much. Thanks, Folks, everybody. thank you very much for listening. Um, it mentioned there's a Trampled by Birds episode July 24th. We have the Trampled membership offer going on right now. Pheasantsforever.org slash trampled or quailforever.org slash trampled please get involved in the organization it makes a difference for the lifestyle and the habitat that you care about thank you for listening and 
I will remind you, always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.